Hello and welcome to the pep talk. You have the two bald frauds here discussing everything Manchester City. Today we're going to talk about the West Ham match that just ended. A little bit of Jude Bellingham given the news that came out earlier this Wednesday morning and Wednesday afternoon for those in England. And also we're going to talk a little bit of uh, Lionel Messi, have a debate on what we think of him and whether City might be inclined to look his way this summer, given the news that he is departing from PSG. Jason, how are you doing today? Yeah, no, I'm doing pretty good, man. Um, like I said earlier, when we were talking offline, um, didn't have the best sleep last night, but you know, up early in the morning, um, watched the match, and now we're recording this podcast. So it's a bit of a another podcast where we do you know it's almost immediately after the match it's a bit more fresh um but yeah look i'm excited to debate the messy thing because i know me and you disagree on this um so it should be an interesting interesting discussion i think um and we'll also i guess we'll talk about the west ham match a lot um you know erling Haaland breaking another record um yet again <laughs> so he's just doing his usual thing week on week so yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to talk about that and you know, how we felt about the match. And I know you're excited because your boy Ortega got a start. So, <laughs> my boy. <laughs> All right, so let's jump into that. Let's just jump into it right away. Lineups. I honestly, the this line this lineup was really interesting because it was good that Ake's back. He got some minutes. Uh, Akanji got a rest. Gundogan got a rest. Uh, was anything else other than Ortega, obviously, was anything else really a surprise for you? Um, I was surprised that he started. Um, I didn't, I thought, I, th- I I thought he'd start the Leeds match, not this match. Um, but I guess he's fit and ready to go. And then, um, I thought he'd get like 30, <clears throat> 30 minutes. Like I thought he'd come on as a 30, um, you know, the last six, after 60 minutes for a 30 minute sub. And then maybe he'd play the full Leeds game leading into the Madrid game. So I was, I was pleasantly surprised for him to start the game. Um, and I think he didn't get subbed off until like the 80th minute or something like that. So that was that was good to see. Um, was it that late? I think it was pretty late. Yeah, it was pretty late. I think Akanji came on for him, but it was pretty oh, late. Oh, yeah, Se- 77th minute. That's right. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So it was pretty late in the game. So so I was pleasantly surprised to see him start. And, you know, we'll talk more about it later. But he did score the opening goal as well, um, which is fantastic. Um, and also, but yeah, the oh, the Ortega one is definitely surprising. The only other surprising thing was Gundogan not starting, but you know, I think with Kevin De Bruyne's injury at the moment, you kind of have to rotate the midfield as much as you can, game on game, prior to the Madrid game. So, I, I, my expectation is that Roger will get a rest against Leeds, or he'll play sixty minutes at the uh, like at the most. Um, it's a bit unfortunate that Sam Allardyce. Um, has come in now because Leeds are going to set up exactly the same way as West Ham, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, we'll probably, do a little, yeah, yeah, a little bit more on that later. Um, but yeah, look, that that's the I think for everyone the big shock seeing Ortega starting instead of Edison. So, okay, starting with Ortega, I know Pep said before the game when he was asked why is Ortega starting, Pep said, "Well, Ederson needs a rest." I to me like I get it, Pep. 
you know, he obviously says some bullshit sometimes. Like every coach says bullshit <laughs> during press conferences, and sometimes they're truthful. This is one of the times where I think Pep is full of shit because Ederson stands back there for 90 minutes almost every match. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't he doesn't really need rest. So I'm not sure like- what it I honestly yeah. think it is I personally think that Ortega impresses Pep a lot and Pep said this guy deserves a start. Now it's I don't think it's anything against Ederson. I think it's more of more telling of Ortega that he's earned a start and Pep kind of feels that way like look cuz this game is it really important. Like every game until the end of the season is incredibly important. And Pep benches the starting keeper. Like I don't want I don't I I to me that's bullshit. That's bullshit. So, so I think you, personally it's Ortega who earned a start because he is that good. Yeah, so I, I think it's I think it's a two things, right? So if this was Zach Steffen, he wouldn't get a start, right? So that's that's the first point, the first counter yes. point, right? So Ortega's pretty good and Pep does trust him, fair enough. I think the other main thing to consider is here is yes, it could be it could be rest. Doesn't mean doesn't mean have to mean physically, it could be mentally, right? So um, you know, Edison probably his decision making wasn't the best against Fulham. <clears throat> he done a lot of um passes that went outside, um, a lot of lot of misstep passes. So it could be like mental exhaustion of the season. Um and we're fortunate enough this season to have a backup keeper that is good enough to come in and step in for for Edison, right? So with both distribution and shot stopping, right? So it's we are we do have that um, we do have that advantage of this season. So I think that's one advantage we do have. But I don't think it's like ah, oh, you know, I need to drop Edison. It's more like it's let's give Edison a rest and let's keep Ortega um, in form and. You know, on his toes because at the end of the day, I'm, I'm like I'm 99 sure Ortega starting the FA Cup final, right? You don't want him going into the FA Cup final without a game since April 23rd when we played Sheffield, right? You want to give him at least one or two games in between. So I'll expect, I'll probably expect Ortega to start another game between now and the end of the season, right? Which, <clears throat> if we wrapped up the league um, prior to the last game, I expect him to start that game. You know, as a warm up to the FA Cup final. Or the game before that, just as like a to keep him to keep him in in rhythm, you know what I mean. So I think I feel like it's more of that than than uh, I need to drop Edison or 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 Ortega deserves a start, if you know what I mean. So that's where the angle I'll go with. And on top of that, if he if he needs to play a certain amount of games to get a Premier League medal, so there's that to consider as well. Yeah, I just think personally, like. Or you're t- an Ortega, you're an Ortega stand though, so your your opinion on this is biased. <laughs> well, let, okay, let, let's start from the beginning. Let's start from the beginning. So, if any of you were familiar with my Twitter handle, I do scouting reports on players City sign or are are close to signing every summer. And so last year, when City signed Ortega, it kind of came out of nowhere. Like they signed him on a free from Armenia Bielefield who he's played there basically his entire career. He, I think he even came up through their youth academy. So I said, okay, let's go watch some Bielefeld matches, which they got <laughs> relegated last year in the Bundesliga. It was painful to watch. But I was shocked 
Well, like he's legitimately good. Like not good for a backup. Like he's good. Like if City signed say for example City had didn't have Ederson and signed Ortega, I would be perfectly happy because he would like he's a madman there. Like he was always playing outside of his box. Like with his feet, he was like their prime playmaker. Like he would just they would pass it back to him and he would just ping passes all over the field. It was beautiful to watch. And on top of that, he's a very good shot stopper. Um, and I just, I loved him. I loved him. Like, from watching, I think I watched like eight or nine of his matches, I fell in love with him. And my first thought was, is nobody watching this guy? Like, I know Byron looked at him briefly to, to go there and probably back up Neuer. Um, but I was wondering, like, how on earth did somebody not notice this guy? And I was, I had high hopes coming into the season. Like I thought this guy with his feet is almost as good as Ederson, if not just as good. And Ederson's probably the best keeper in the world with his feet. Ortega is right up there. Like that's how good he is. And we saw it today too. Like he made every pass perfectly under pressure. Did ever like if you didn't know that Ederson was City's keeper and you just watched today, you'd say, yeah, that keeper played perfectly fine. Played every pass that Ederson could play. And like you said, Stefan couldn't do any of that. Like, Stefan was, I, I would say, maybe above average with his feet. Like, he's not, he's not fucking Joe Hart, but... Nothing was fucking shit. <laughs> he, but, he, like, I mean, he wasn't a great keeper by any means, but, like, I would say he was probably above average. Like, if you're... If five is average, 10 is Ederson, and one is, I don't know, Jack Butland, then he is probably like a six. He's like slightly above average. But Ederson is a 10. So, and the way City play is they need a 10. And I thought Ortega played it perfectly today. So, personally, I think, and I think even Pep said it maybe a month or two ago that. Ederson's being pushed as hard as he's ever been pushed at City in terms of a backup coming to take his spot. And I don't... Let me qualify this. I do not think that Ortega should or will replace Ederson. I don't think that. I don't believe that. And I don't want that. But all I'm saying is Stefan Ortega is very, very good. And he's like... His caliber is he could start for a top team anywhere in the world. I look, yeah, look, like I said, I think he's to be fair, Ortega is definitely the the best second keeper we've had in the Pep era. You know, when it came to Bravo or Caballero or, you know, Zach Stefan, Zach Stefan for me was the worst we've ever had. You know, he was every time he stepped onto the pitch, we were like, yeah, we're not winning with him in in goals and he basically cost us um the the FA Cup final, yes, last yeah, the Liver- right. the semi-final, the Liverpool match. Yeah, the, the Liverpool match. It was that that match was on him. Like if Edison was in goal or Ortega, um, we'd probably win that game. So for me, he it's a huge, huge upgrade um, from where we were from from Stefan to Ortega. So look, I'm happy. I'm happy for him to get the start. I'm happy for him to get the start. It's like I said. It's more. I think it's more mental exhaustion. It's 
let him get his Premier League medal, let him stay in rhythm, um, give Edison a kind of like a warning shot in a way because he didn't play that great against Fulham. Um, you know, it keeps you on your toes, right? So that's that's what yeah. you need at, at this time of the season, right? So we know no one's immune to being dropped in this city team except Rodri. Um, <laughs> and that's that's not really well. Rodri is amazing, but it's also because Phillips is shit. So yeah, it's yeah, a little bit true. of both. That's true. Um, so yeah, look, no one's immune to being dropped, and I think this this is good for it's good for Edison at the end of the day. I think he, it it raises your level, and Edison has been better this season than he was last season. Um, and I feel like it is because of Ortega being behind him. When he when he had Zach Steffen behind him, he didn't give a shit. You, he could he could drop a two out of ten performance, and Zach Steffen still wouldn't start over him. So, yeah, Zach now, Steffen stunk. So now, now Edison actually has to put in good performances, game on game, game on game, because Ortega will potentially take his spot if he doesn't. You know, if his levels drop, then Pep will say, you know what, I'll give the other keeper a chance because he's just as good, um, and he can perform just as well. And look, we've, he's kept he's kept a lot of clean sheets this year, Ortega. So I'm not sure how many goals exactly he's conceded, but I think we've only kept, out of, in this winning run, I think we've only kept eight clean sheets and four of them are Ortega's. So we haven't, we haven't kept a lot of clean sheets recently either. Like no, we it's haven't. been a little bit because <clears throat> the only reason I know this, at least off the top of my head is one of my good friends plays FIFA ultimate team. And there's a Ruben Diaz card that gets upgraded when City get a clean sheet in the Premier League, <laughs> and he's been holding on to it for weeks, and we just concede one goal every time, and it's pissing him off so bad. So now he's got his clean sheet. That Ruben Diaz card can get upgraded by one, but that's the only reason is because it's like every week we'll win, but it'll be like four to one, three to one, whatever. It's never – it hasn't been a clean sheet in some time. So yeah, it's good to see a clean sheet. Ortega didn't really have much to do today anyways. Um, they did press him sometimes. <laughs> like, they I, they didn't – They it was weird. They either, like, sat back incredibly deep or they pressed really high. There was, like, no in between. And yeah, when they it, did press him, he played out perfectly. I mean, he didn't Mo- put a foot wrong, I thought. Moise's tactics were interesting. He, um, he went with a high press – when we're in our half, and then when as soon as the ball crossed the line, they went into a uh, like a five three two or whatever the hell that was. A five four. They went into a, a zero ten is what they. <laughs> yeah, yeah like. basically, as soon as as soon as our ball crossed, as soon as we had possession, the ball crossed the halfway line. They were setting up in the like a very low block, and that, and that's why we we're frustrated that first half. So, I think let's jump into the first half anyway. Um, but we but we how how do you feel in that first half? I was frustrated, to be fair. Yeah, it was kind of frustrating, but I thought we would break f- through eventually. Like, yeah. For I mean, the good thing is they really offered nothing in the first half. Like, actually, basically the entire game, they offered very little. Like, I saw the XG stats after the game, and it said they got like 0.5 XG, and I still am like, baffled. Like I don't know where that came from because it was it was that Bowen chance on the wing where he hit it right at Ortega's good save by Ortega to be fair. Um, yeah, but how how is that worth any XG? He's like that's a really low percentage shot. Well, there's no like, way that could have much XG. <laughs> well, like you said, they only accumulated zero point five, so that would accumulate most of it, I'd assume. Yeah, I honestly, I have 
Here you go, 0. 0.17 is for that one shot. <laughs> it's that's just I, I thought that was really odd. But anyways, I mean they didn't really offer a threat in the entire first half and not really in the second half either, but definitely not in the first half. And yep. so I thought that was good. At least like they weren't threatening at all. And I thought we'll break through eventually. And we did. So yeah. for, for me, I wasn't feeling too terrible. Yeah. For, for me, it was more of, I felt like the intensity wasn't there to start the match. There was a bit of a low energy even even the stadium, I, I didn't feel it was buzzing as you know. Like you compare it to the Arsenal game. Obviously, the Arsenal game is a lot bigger, and, and you know everyone's up for it. And you know you want to you want to bring that energy to, to to the game, and it helps the, the team spur on. You know, there was moments in the game where Pep was like, you know, shouting at the crowd and like trying to get him get him up to to you know, put a bit of energy because games like this, and Pep said it before, games like this you need energy to get you through, especially the home games. Like for me in this title running. We have to win our home games, right? So every home game is a must-win for me because we've got still a fair bit of away games, and our away form isn't the best, right? So we could potentially drop games away. <clears throat> so that's very that's why I was saying last week on our last pod, I was saying it's very important to win this West Ham and Leeds game because they are at home. So they're kind of like gimmies. You need to win them. You need to win them fast. You need to conserve energy once you've won the game, etc. All that, all those things come into play. Um, so that's why I felt like that first half was frustrating. I knew West Ham, like the whole time I was watching that first, I'm like, West Ham are not going to score. So we just need, we just need a breakthrough. Um, but credit to them. They defended really, really well. Um, you know, that low block that Moyes set up was frustrating for us to break. Um, and then it hurts because you don't have, so I felt like we didn't have a creative outlet as much in, in this lineup. So when you're missing Kevin De Bruyne, you're missing Gundogan, you notice Haaland was making a lot of runs in that first half. No one was spotting him, so there was a bit of a bit of missing. And I, and Pep Pep tweaked it in the second half to create a bit more chance, create a bit more overload. Like I, I don't know how many times I've seen John Stones playing like an eight <laughs> in that second half. Like that's yeah, he was swinging so high. Yeah, so that's the type of tactical change that Pep did. He goes, well, if they're gonna sit in a in a five five four one or you know, like you said, zero ten then you, we need to put more plays forward to to create overloads or to create more more chances. And that's basically what we did in the second half. So for me, that first half was like a feeler. And generally, we do pretty well in second half adjustments um, when games are going like this. So although, although we didn't get the breakthrough, we did have good chances still. You know, like we still put pressure. Rodri had that really, really good chance where I thought he should have scored. Um, you know, very, very unlucky, you know, off the post and then, you know, rolled over. Oh, the yeah. That was so frustrating. So, like, it was when he missed that, I'm like, please don't be one of those games where we, 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 we miss such a close shot and then that happens. Um, but yeah, then you go into the second half and you can see we straight away changed it. Straight away. Pep straight away tactically changed it. And the, and the tactics suited what we needed to do with the overloads, with the, with the, you know, like I said, Stones, Stones and Roger were making runs in the box. So you're, we had our defensive midfielders essentially making runs into the box. And credit to John Stones. What a player. What a Rolls Royce, man. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, tactically, since we're already in tactics talk, um, I thought what they did basically is they matched up what we did. So we we did the three to five, like we do a lot, and they did a five to three and sort of matched up that way. 
it was interesting because one thing they did is like one way that we like to break down those five man defenses is we have our wingers play super wide and on the touchline. And then we have our number eights running in behind. And you saw that a lot with Grealish and Bernardo, like Bernardo would try to run to the byline and Grealish would get it to him. And so he could kind of stretch people out. Now, what would happen is they would get followed by the midfielders. Like they were getting man marked. And so it was really hard. That's why Bernardo, every time he was on the byline, he couldn't find anybody in the box because what you want to happen is you want that third center back to come out and then there creates more space in the box. But that didn't happen because the midfielder was following Bernardo. And that just like City was having trouble breaking that down. And we we reverted to crosses a bunch in the first half. And um, all we needed was one goal to just kind of open the game because then they were going to have to be a little more progressive. So I thought they did a decent job in the first half. I, I just looked up the XG, not from Twitter, but from the so I could see the chart. And from what I saw, actually, they had 0.49 XG in the entire game, and they rated that Bowen chance as 0.3. So they basically had basically had nothing. The rest, of, and they had 0.1 XG for like the next highest chance. So they really, yeah. really did nothing like the entire and, game. And, and depends what source you use. So like I use a different source, and they they've got 0.36. And that chance was 0.17. So there you go. Yeah. So all, it's all <laughs> relative, but basically they didn't create anything. Um, we created a little bit. I mean, we still, at least from what I used is they had like 1.18 XG in the first half. So still created some. I mean, obvi- like it's not always going to be super easy, but in the end, like it was a pretty comfortable win. And we saw that in the second half. I think what I agree with you on Alvarez, like Alvarez can like he essentially plays where Kevin De Bruyne plays is like a hybrid 10 slash second striker. I don't really know how to even categorize that position. Um, But the one thing is like Alvarez is really good and he's good in that position, but he's not Kevin De Bruyne and you can't expect him to be so like when he gets receives the ball in all of that space, like j- there's just some passes that he can't make that Kevin De Bruyne can make. Yeah, but I, I think overall he did fine. Like he he did he did, he wasn't poor by any means. I thought Grealish had a pretty good game um, as well. He actually did a really good job drawing the foul, which led to the set piece that set up the first goal. He took on like three guys. Drove past them, drew a good foul. Um, I, I I thought overall him and Bernardo worked well on the left wing, and yeah, yeah. I, I mean overall it was good. I'm surprised Foden hasn't been given a chance in that Alvarez role because I think Foden would do well in that role as well. And he's and he's a better passer than Alvarez and a better control of the ball. I wonder. That's if exactly work- what happened when he came on, though. Yeah, I wonder if it's a work rate thing as all that like Pep wants the legs of Alvarez um, in terms of pressing and stuff. I know, I know Foto's not bad at pressing, but he's, he's not, he's not Alvarez levels of pressing. So maybe, maybe Pep goes, Oh, I want that a little bit more than, you know, link up or passing, etc. But yeah, we do, we definitely do lose something with Kevin um, missing out of the team. 
Um, I'm hoping he's fit for the weekend so he can get a bit of game time before Madrid. Um, I, I wouldn't want him going cold into Madrid game because we're definitely going to need him for that game. <laughs> we're definitely going to need him for that game. Yeah, if he's fit. I mean, I, who knows if he – I hope he's fit. But yeah, um, I like I agree. I think Foden could play that role. I think he could play it right now. I know Pep said Foden's not ready yet because he kind of wants him to – Learn how to play, like not just go, go, go all the time, and yeah. kind of develop that uh, rhythm, and you know, know when to slow it down, know when to speed it up. But in that role, especially like the way Alvarez and Kevin plays, like they're usually go, go, go as well. I think it might be a thing where like Foden might not be fully fit yet because I mean, like he did have surgery, and I know it's not like an injury, so but he still might just be like trying to get back to full fitness. I think it yeah. could be something like that because I would have expected him to give Grealish a rest by now. Like there's I think Foden's Foden's good on the left wing. He he offers something different than Grealish. Yeah. Foden, um, Foden will start and, on the weekend. Foden will start on the weekend against Leeds. For sure. He maybe at right wing. Yeah, he'll start. Seems, he'll, seems like Grealish plays every game. No, I, I, th- I think Grealish, he'll drop Grealish for the Leeds game and um leave Mares on because he'll play Grealish Bernardo against Madrid. You know what I mean? He'll go with that same lineup. So he'll rest Grealish on the weekend and he'll rest um yeah, he'll re- he'll rest it like he'll rotate a few players, but I'm sure I'm like 99% sure he'll rest Grealish for that game cuz Grealish looks a bit knackered to be fair. He needs a rest. So give him a week off before the Madrid game cuz we need we will need Grealish's work rate in that game, and I'll, I'll, I'd want him, you know, hundred percent firing for that game. So we, you we know do have how to make upset it. I'm going to be if he has a pretty rotated side when I go fucking visit. Like, <laughs> I'm going to be so mad if Hurling Holland does not start against. Nah, Leeds. Nah, ha- ha- Holland will still start against Leeds. Uh, look, I think Holland's young enough to be starting every game, and as long as they manage him well, um, you know, you could see even in this game, like he he didn't make that many runs. He was quite relaxed up front. Um, oh, and, and for those of you that don't know, I'm going to the Leeds game on Saturday. I said that in previous podcasts, but just in case you didn't hear. Yeah, and the quality of the, the podcast will go down a little bit because Sam won't have his um, microphone, but that's okay. We'll, we'll make it work. Um, so just just on the second half, you know, Aki's goal, surprisingly, Mares was the one who done the, um, the, the crossing um, off the free kick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I even tweeted about it because, like, he looked like he'd never taken a free kick in his life in the first half. Like every <laughs> like every single, like every single set piece, it was like horrible. And I yeah. was thinking to myself, like, why is Alvarez not taking these <laughs> these corners? Because we had so many corners, and it was like hit the front man every time, and it looked like it like dribbled across the ground. It was, like they were terrible, and so, then all of a sudden, <laughs> just delivers a. <laughs> Perfect ball to Ake. Yeah, second. and so so many people were saying, "Get get Mares off, get Mares off, put Foden on," and, and then literally three minutes later, he's he's putting in he's putting in that cross. So you know, credit to him. He's, he's I think he's he's doing he's helping us with the rotation, right? So with Mares on the field, you can always take one of Gondo or Bernardo off um, off the field, um, which is which is what we need. For this, for this little period of um before the Madrid game, um, yeah, it's it's always an interesting thing with with Mares. <laughs> Look, if, if 
I feel like we won't. We a lot of people are saying like get him off the field, but if you look at where he was on the on the pitch, we weren't really going down that side anyway. So we didn't actually use Mares that much. Um, we we're more we we're more focused on the left side with Bernardo Grealish, um, Ake. So yep, yeah. So for for for, for Mares to get the assist, credit to him. It was peach, peach of a ball and, and a peach of a head off, off, off Ake. I think that was his first goal in the Premier League this season for Ake. Um, very well deserved. He's been probably one of our best players this season. Um, you know, came straight back into the team. Didn't look rusty at all. Um, coming off on a hamstring injury, um, and you can see, and you can kind of see as well. You know, talking about Ake, we can kind of see what what we miss when he does play. Uh, when he doesn't play, sorry, that left that left foot being on that side just just opens things up a little bit more um, in terms of passing, in terms of build up, in terms of um, being in control. Um, <clears throat> because yeah, like in that first half, we were a bit sloppy, um, and a lot of it came from Walker's side in terms of sloppiness. Um, but Ake, I didn't see that sloppiness at all. Like he was on on the ball again. It's just he's having a fantastic season. Like from where he was last season and what people were saying about him, and then to come in this season with these type of performances week in week out, and to be basically the nailed on left center back or left left back. Um, or in, in a back three, you know, it's, it's credit to him, man. He's just had a fantastic season. I reckon he's probably top three in terms of um, players of the year, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, he's incredible. He would be probably my player of the year if Erling Holland did not exist. <laughs> I mean, we're yeah, close cl- to it. Like, either him or maybe... Rodri. It has to be him or Rodri for me. Yeah, I mean... Kevin De Bruyne's up there as well. Even though it hasn't been his best season, he's still been incredible. Um, he's been inc- he's been incredible, but he hasn't been as consistent f- throughout the year. So I can't I can't give it to him on that. You know, but Ake and Rodri have literally been on it since day day one. You know what I mean? Like they have not put in a stinker performance this season. Um, yeah, had neither like, has Jack Grealish. Yeah, Jack Grealish didn't start the season that well. I think his his form clicked in after the World Cup in January. So for me, Grealish still- was Grealish was fine before the World Cup, but he never put in a stinker. Yeah, I don't he, think he, he's had one stinker all week. No, he he was fine, but he wasn't he wasn't putting this level of performance. No way, no, near. no, no way near, no way near. So, so when it so when it comes to like top top performance, but like Ake and 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 Rodri have like literally been there day dot putting in you know seven to ten to ten out of ten performances every week. Um, so yeah, but also Haaland. Obviously, he's player of the season. So a little yeah, bit. Of Harlan, I let, mean, how can you not? <laughs> let, let's jump. Let's let, talking of Harlan. Let's jump into this. Let's, let's do our little five to ten minute segment again on Harland. Um, well, thirty five uh, goals. Thirty five goals on the Premier League. Uh, broke, that was, broke Alan that was a, It was a beautifully worked goal too. Like nice through ball from Grealish. What a finish! Like Fabianski was reaching up and still like he deflected it, but he like Holland. My God, that was like that was a great goal, and I don't know what else we can really say that we haven't said already about him. Like he's incredible. I didn't think he would do this in the Premier. Like I thought he would score a bunch of goals, obviously, but to I break to break the record in your first season when you're 22 years old, and it's the the record for a 42 game season, and there's still five games left in the season. Like that is just absolutely incredible. And 
more credit to him also. Like, we saw his overall game just even more today. Like, he's getting better and better by the week in terms of his holdup play, in terms of, like, playing in between the lines, in terms of, like, especially playing, like, the little one-twos in short spaces. He's gotten so much better. Like, his, his control and his touch is getting really good. And so... Not only season. is he going to be not only is he going to be like scoring a million goals, like he's becoming a really, really good all around striker. And the league needs to watch out for him next year. Because if he's doing this in his first season, just just you wait. Yeah. And so, yeah. yeah. For, for, for me with Haaland, I always thought he'd do this. I just didn't think the only thing I thought that might stop him was his injury um, history because he did he did have a poor injury history um, with Dortmund. You know he he used to miss a fair bit of games, um, a lot of lot of muscle injuries. But medical team at City has done fantastic. They've kept him in shape all season. Um, you know uh, I was listening to Sam Lee the other day on the Athletic podcast and the I, things I was they, about to bring that up. Yeah, yeah, the thing the things the things they do to keep him in shape. You know they're probably spending millions of pounds on him this season just to keep him in shape, right? So, like, there's a whole team behind it um, to keep him this this well and this, you know, we're right. At the, we're, we're at the tail end of the season. We're in May, right? And although he did have a break from the World Cup because he didn't play in the World Cup, which is, which kind of, I think, helped him this season a little bit, but to be playing, you know, almost every three days, every four days, playing three games a week and to be still in tip-top shape, um Knock on wood, he hasn't had had many injuries this season. You know, outside of the Liverpool game that he missed, I think, and he missed a couple games um, prior to the World Cup. Besides that, he hasn't had that many injuries this season, which is which is really really that that's, that's the part that really surprised me. But in terms of goals, I I did expect this. You know, I expected Haaland to break records or you know get close to breaking these records. I I, I put a bet on. Before the season started, so I've got a, uh, you guys know Stephen McInerney, obviously, who's got who's been talking about his forty goal Premier League record, um, forty goals Premier League bet, I think that he has, which he's put twenty pounds on, which is paying five thousand pounds. I've got a very similar bet. I, I put forty goals as well, but my my odds were lower. I don't know why, but I guess Australian um, <laughs> betting companies are a bit different. Um, but I put ten dollars, and that's paying fifteen hundred dollars for forty goals. So I'm hoping that hits. Um, because he he, needs, he only needs five goals in five games to to get that forty goal to get those forty goals. I was hoping these two games he'd he'd get close. You know, he's got a hat trick in one of these Leeds or West Ham game. Uh, but now with Allardyce in, I'm 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 a bit nervous about this <laughs> potentially getting the record because I know he'll he'll rotate Harlan towards the end of the season um, if the league is wrapped up. Um, but look, he's he is something else, and that that finish of his um, you know thirty fifth goal of the Premier League season broke Alan Shearer's record. Um, broke Andy Cole's record. He is flying high, and like we said, five games to go, and he's already broken the record. Um, what, what was really impressive about that finish as well is, like you said, Fabianski had full stretch. Um, you know, mo- most strikers will try like either dribble it around the keeper or you know go low into the corner or something like that. But for him to like just go, yep, I'm just gonna chip this right over you. Um, fantastic finish. I like. It's just he he had. When it comes to him in on goal, 1v1 with a keeper, it's very, very rare that he's going to miss a shot. 
Yeah, like you're surprised when he <laughs> if it's blocked or if it's missed, you're shocked. Yeah, exactly. Like, like that's exactly the, that's the difference. Is like I feel like for most other people, it's like you know, I don't know, fifty fifty or maybe sixty forty or something. But with Holland, it's like you're le- you're legit surprised if he misses it or if it's blocked and and not just to ch- like have the like think quickly enough to chip the keeper, but he like chipped it high because like Fabianski stretched his entire arm out that like so he, not he only didn't, did he chip it, he got it super high, and he didn't take a touch. It was yeah. off the f- First, first, it, that literally his shot was the first touch from Grealish's pass. Yeah, and so, beautiful through ball by Grealish too. Like that was oh, so fantastic. well worked by both of them. So, like, very well timed. Run. He, I thought he was on so, offside when I first seen. Him. I'm like, oh, is this offside? And then I'm like, oh, no, he's timed it perfectly. And that's something. That's something that you got to give credit to Harlan as well. He's he is mostly onside when he goes through like that. It's very like uh, it's it's rare. <laughs> Maybe I'm just getting PTSD from Jesus, who was literally born offside. Um, yeah, like I'm used to players being offside in these scenarios, but Haaland's rarely offside. When he, when he's through on goal and he's waiting for the pass, it's very very rare that he actually is offside, um, which is just like it's fantastic to see. And that's that's a skill set within itself to be onside almost every time. And I think that's because he trusts in his physical abilities to you know beat the player, and so that he, he he's not worried about oh, I need to start sprinting early so I can beat the player. It's like no, I know I can beat the player when I start sprinting, so I'm gonna stay on side. So that's that's a skill set within itself, I think, for Haaland. Yeah, and I I've heard an interview previously where he talks about that as well. Like he talks about how much practice he's put into not being offside and like how to shape and bend his runs because when you see him, his runs are very rarely straight. Like they're almost yeah. always diagonal or bent or something like that, and that's to so you so you're not off sides. So, I mean, credit to Holland. Like he is, man. Okay, let's move just, on from our Holland love fest. Yeah. So uh, just just before the second goal, by the way, I think it's worth bringing up the the other through ball to Holland where the defender took out Holland's legs, and no penalty was called again. So VAR, another poor decision. It's like we, it's like I, like this is what I was saying last last pod. I mean, we we're talking about Liverpool and Tottenham, and VAR missed red cards and missed a bunch of other things. And it's like it happens again, and it's happening in our game. Like I look at that through ball where we didn't get a penalty, and I say, okay, we're one nil up. But if we were nil or at that time, and that gets missed, and the game ends nil or, and we drop two points because of that, title deciding stuff. It's so poor from the referees, man. It's the same. See, it's the same. I d- I'm going to disagree with you on this one. You don't think it was a penalty? This is what I think. I think it was. It was probably a penalty, but it was a pretty close call. And when VAR looks at it, it needs to be like egregiously wrong. So I think if, for example, I think if the ref called a penalty on the field, it would not have been overturned. But because he didn't call a penalty on the field, it also wasn't overturned. If that which makes is, sense, yeah. Which is stupid to begin with, right? And this is the whole point of VAR. It's it's not consistent, right? Because if a ref's call on the field can't be overturned because of this clear and obvious bullshit rule, it doesn't make sense. It's either it's either a penalty or it isn't. It shouldn't matter what the referee thinks. At the end of the day, he he. A lot of people say, "Oh, he got to the ball." 
but he didn't get to the ball first. He took out the legs with a scissor tackle on, on Haaland's leg and then got to the ball. So if, the, if, if it is a penalty, then VAR needs to call it a penalty. It shouldn't have to be this clear and obvious rule. And it's, and it's the it's, Premier League. It's pretty close, game. though. Like, cause I'll tell you what. The reason they a- have that, the, but the reason they have that is because they don't, like they don't want to have to go overturn every little thing if it's very close. Like it should just be when there's an egregious error. And like honestly, like he it was pretty simultaneous with like him getting Holland and barely barely getting the ball. And I don't even think getting the ball matters. Like I do think it was a penalty, but am I really going to be super pissed about that? I don't think it was that egregious where you're like no, that's terrible refereeing. Like that's just like for me that's that's what I thought it was. I honestly thought the other one was more of a penalty to be honest. The one the one on Stones? Is that yeah. Yeah, he didn't even get near the ball and even I don't know if what your commentator said, but our commentator said if that happened on the midway line, like that's 100% a foul. I think both So why penalties. is it not a foul here? I think and, both the penalties. But I think both of them it was because, like, neither of them were super egregious penalties. Uh, but I think what, if it, they it, were both called penalties, they would not have been overturned. If, if this was in Europe and we're playing Champions League, that's they're both called penalties. Maybe. Agree with that? I don't, maybe. I don't know. I mean, that's they, the they thing, are, though, is, like, it's... I don't think these were so egregious to where it's like, oh, these refs are shit. Like, it was just too close calls. That didn't I go dis- City's I, way. I disagree. And, one of yeah. my, and, and <laughs> I, I don't think they were like, it was so shit. It's like adding to the Like, there are a million worse cases of bad refereeing in the Premier League than these two calls. That's at least how I see it. And at least how the rules are written. Yeah, look, fair. Look, you know, I don't, we shouldn't harp on too many too much about the referees anyway. Um, it ended up being, like you said, a comfortable... 3-0 win. Um, Foden's goal worked really well. Um, it's good to see him get his goal. And that was the thousandth goal of the Pep era. <laughs> A thousand goals, guys. Incredible. <laughs> yep. He has... We have 200 more goals than the nearest team. Um, so, a thousand goals. And I think Liverpool is second with like 797 or something like that. So, um, wow. It's just great. It's crazy, man. It's absolutely crazy to get the thousandth goal like that, um, and you know, naturally has to be Foden, um, who's the the poster boy to being a Man City fan. Um, and look, man, that's that's Pep, that's Pep ball for you. That's what he's done. That's what he's brought to this team. I think, I think he we average two point five two goals a game in the Pep era, which is absolutely mental when you think about it. You know, we expect to score more than two goals in every game we go we go into. So that's the levels that we're at right now. Yeah, I think what was great, too, about Foden, he looked like he wanted blood the second he got on the field. Like, yeah, he he did not want to protect the 2-0 lead. He was going. Like, he was salivating at putting a through ball to Holland. Like, the entire time. I swear I thought Holland was going to get another goal because it looked like, like Foden was just waiting to put a through ball to Holland and get Holland in on goal. And I, think, I loved I think, seeing it. Like, Foden yeah. went – he went to 100 the second he got on the field. 
Yeah, and uh, look, I, I remember I remember saying this earlier. It was like, do you see Foden getting back into this team when he is fit um, because of how well everyone else is playing? You know, like after the Bayern game, I actually questioned, I'm like, is Foden going to get back in this team? You know, we, we consider Foden to be, you know, if you look at prior to the season starting, I'd say Foden was a nailed-on starter every game. So for him not to be in the best 11 right now, it's pretty crazy. And I think he wants to prove that he should be in the best eleven, and I think, and and this is this is the the added um, drive that players will have when they do sub on or when they do get a chance to come on, whether it be Ortega, whether it be Foden. We have huge, huge games coming up. So like running running title games, we have Champions League semi final, potentially a Champions League final, potentially oh not potentially we do have an FA Cup final against against Manchester United. So we have huge, huge games coming up, and these players trying to prove that they should be starting over the other player. And that helps drive the levels up for us. So that's and this is why it's really important to have everyone fit because it does drive the levels up. The only player that doesn't have anyone to drive his level up is Rodri. And thank God he is playing at a fantastic level. But he's the only one in the team that doesn't have literally someone literally pushing him on and saying, hey, if you didn't play well, I'm going to take your spot. So... But he's you know been I mean? incredible, so, so it hasn't really mattered. Yeah, it hasn't. It hasn't mattered, thankfully, which is really, really good. Um, but like, that's that's what's great to say about what Foden did when he came on. It was similar to Mares when he came on like, a couple of weeks ago. Um, you could just see like they were fired up to go and score goals or do something on the, on the pitch because they know they know that there is big games, and if they want to be selected for these big games, then you got to put the performances in when you get the chance. You can't you can't just you know go in on sulk and say mm, I'm, I'm not I, I haven't started. So I'm not going to play well. You need to raise your levels to to push the other players as well. Yeah, honestly, like I don't see, at least right now, I don't see as long as everyone's healthy, Pep changing the Champions League lineup from what he did at Bayern. Like Bernardo on the right wing, Gundogan, Kevin De Bruyne. Like I said, as long as everyone's healthy. uh, I, I just don't see it, but... You got some great subs there as well, like with Foden or Alvarez or whoever. But they, I mean that that team just works so well together. Like, why would you change it? And but Foden's still going to play. I think he's going to play an important role, especially in the league games, because there's just so many, so bunched up. He's going to play a good role, and so um, it's very good to see him back because it's been a tough season for him, just injury wise. He hasn't gotten in a lot of games, and that's. Kind of what happens, like a progression of a player is never linear. Like there's always going to be bumps along the road. So I don't think it says any less of him as a player. Like I still think he's an amazing player, maybe the most talented player on this team other than Erling Holland. So I I don't think it says anything less of him as a player. I just, you know, yeah, I, people, I, have I, tough I, se- people have tough seasons. It happens. I, look, I agree, man. And you, you go back to... Okay, last year. He would never start big games, but this year he will be starting every big game. <laughs> it, look, like you said, exactly. Players do have up and down season, and that's fine. And that's it's, it's it's normal, I think, in a football season because of injuries, because of rotation, because of players' form being really, really high. You know, like Mares was undroppable last year, right? And in that Champions League run that we had in in 2021 when we made the CL final, Mares was... Whew, you, you yeah, he was incredible. 
you'd never consider dropping him. And now, now, now it's this year's season, and you'd say, well, I can't drop Bernardo because the levels that he's bringing in these Champions League games are are really, really high. And it'll be the same thing with Foden. Foden was the same thing in that 2021 run. We couldn't drop him. And now it's Grealish. We can't drop Grealish. You have to have Grealish on the pitch if if we expect to win these games because of what he does outside of being an attacking winger. You know, the work rate, the the intensity that he brings, the the ball-carrying ability, the retention, all that stuff matters when you have these big games. So, look, we're at the running end of the season and Pep's literally going to play based on levels of performance and fitness and um, importance of the, of the fixture. So, you know, on to Leeds now. How are you feeling about the title race? Feeling really confident now or? Yeah. I mean, I honestly think if, I think this next game is going to be incredibly important. Like if we can get three points against Leeds, which we better because I'm going there. And <laughs> if at the same time, if Arsenal can drop points against Newcastle, which is like, it's going to be tough for Arsenal to go to Newcastle and win the way Newcastle's playing and the way Arsenal's playing. And I don't know about Gabrielle, their center back, because I know there's three Gabrielles on their team, but the center back, Gabrielle, I don't know. I know he came off injured, and the 20-year-old Polish kid played next to him. But Rob Holding was so bad that Arteta said, I'm going to play a 20-year-old left-footed Polish kid at right center back. So, anyways, Gabriel's injured. I don't know if he'll be back. If he's not back, it's going to be that 20-year-old Polish kid, Kiwior, and it's going to be Rob Holding at center back. That's going to be tough for them to go with those guys and win at Newcastle. So if they can drop points there and City get three against Leeds, it's basically wrapped up at that point. Like that's yeah. That I, means I, I, that means City will have at least a six point lead if all of the games are in hand and there'll only be a couple games left. Yeah, look if 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 I personally don't think I think I think they'll beat Newcastle. Just I, I have this weak feeling that they'll beat Newcastle. I don't know why. Um, I know Newcastle are in, are in banging form, but I feel like Arsenal now don't have the pressure, so they'll play a little bit better. Um, I feel like they'll get a result there, um, and and the rest of the games are not going to be that difficult. I know they got Brighton at the Emirates, but I think they'll beat Brighton as well. I, I feel like bro- I think Arsenal will win out, right? And I, the reason why is the pressure's off. They don't need. They, they don't feel like it's not in their hands anymore, right? So it's like just get the results and be done, right? So. I feel There's like no us, chance they went out. No chance think, they went out. You don't think they went no. out? I, uh, Absolutely I not. They're not winning out. They're <laughs> 100% not winning out. They've been in horrible form. They've, Even they've Chelsea, got, Chelsea looked like they were almost left. about to come back. Like, Chelsea's shocking. <laughs> and Chelsea looked like the better team in that second half. And now they're going to have no, like, Rob Holding and a 20-year-old Polish kid at center back. They're against Newcastle, who look incredible right now at Newcastle. St. James's Park is a tough place to play. And, I agree, look, I agree with you. Brighton, I agree with you. Brighton looks incredible too. They are going to drop points. I like Arteta is trying new things because they don't look good. Like he's trying look, new people. He's trying new lineups. It, look, if they beat Newcastle, this is where it comes down to, right? So Newcastle is probably the only one where I'm like not sure of, but if they beat Newcastle, I don't think I think they win out because they only got three games after that. They got Brighton at home, Nottingham away, and Wolves at home. 
they'll they'll win those three games. It's more than Newcastle. So it, no. For me, for me, it's the Newcastle game where I want them to drop points, but I don't think they need to drop points for us to win the league, right? So we just need to get to the Chelsea game having won all our games remaining, in my opinion. <clears throat> we do I have think a few, they're, they're going to drop points. They're not. That means they would have to win their last six, like they would win their last six to finish the season. That's five, not happening. Wouldn't it be five? Well, they would have if they won this one. Oh yeah, and they won like yeah. I don't yeah, think they won five straight. Why not? They won, they won seven. They won seven on the bounce prior to their poor run of form. I, I understand, but I don't think they're going to do it this time. I'm playing devil's advocate. <laughs> Just wanted to say you riled up a little bit. <laughs> All right, let's get on to the big news of the day. Uh, I mean, other than this match, Jude Bellingham. Looks like he's chosen Madrid. Never I mean, wanted him anyway. <laughs> shit footballer, right? Shit footballer. No. Terrible footballer. Doesn't uh, know how to play. I honestly I'm pretty surprised. Like when I'm was shocked. the last time you've seen an English player this good and this young not want to go play in England? Regardless of who he goes and plays for, not want to go play in England. Um in terms of City's transfer plans for this summer. Because I think, I, at least to me, like, I'm not going to sulk or anything on, like, not getting Jude. Like, it is what it is. Fair play to Madrid, by the way. Like, we bit them out for Holland. They beat us for Jude. Happens. Honestly, I'm pretty glad he's not at another team in the Premier League. So, we won't have to see him as often. Um, so, that's nice, at least. But at the, at the rate we're going, we're going to be seeing Madrid every, every semifinals in the Champions League, so... We might see yeah. <laughs> I'd rather see him in the one like once or twice a year. We play Dortmund every year anyways in the so it's not gonna <laughs> matter. Um but no, honestly, like I'm happy for him. Like he you know, he made whatever decisions best for his family. I'm not gonna like criticize the guy for like I do think it's a big I know Lloyd um from ninety three twenty said he tweeted out like that is a big decision to turn down being coached by Pep. Like that's a, yeah. that's not many players do that. And so, and especially like the way city is right now, they're just a, a machine. That's a big decision, but you know, like I'm happy for Jude. Like it is real. It is real Madrid at the end of the day, like probably the biggest club in the world in terms of like profile and everything like that. So you can't really fault the guy for, and you get to live in Madrid which is always like a plus, like living in Spain in general. If yeah. he said, like, I want to go play for, like, broke Barcelona right now, I'd be like, what the hell is he thinking? But it's, you know, it is what it is. And in terms of, like, City's plans, I think it changes a lot of things because now City aren't spending 130 mil or whatever on a midfielder, and this can free up some funds for other things because I think they're – they got plenty of money to spend this summer. Yeah, look, for, for, by the way, for the guys that don't know, so um, one of the main Madrid sources had said that Bellingham had agreed to join Madrid and then Fabrizio Romano followed it up and then Patrick Berger, Berger, who is the, I think, probably the best source for Dortmund news, also followed up saying that um, Bellingham has chosen Madrid. Um, so that's the, that's the the background news of what happened earlier today. Um, I'm very surprised, to be honest. I, I always thought 
that if it wasn't Liverpool, he was coming to City. And I did not expect him to go to La Liga, especially when Madrid have Camavinga, Valverde, they've got um, Tushimani, Modric and Cruz both signed new one-year deals. So they've got six top midfielders in that team right now. Um, so for him to still want to go there, you know, he might not be first option. That's that's the that's the honest truth, right? So, and then you've also got the added factors of Carlo Ancelotti's um, tenure at, at at Madrid isn't set in stone. So, who's going to be the manager? Seems what like they're of, looking at Chabi Alonso. Yeah, right. So, like, so we don't know their style. So, for him to still choose Madrid, knowing that he's English, knowing that the Premier League is probably the best league in the world. Um, I'm very surprised. Like, he's English in the day, right? You'd expect him to come want to join an English club. Um, and he could always go to Madrid later on in his career, right? So, he, he could have came. He's only he's only 19, right? So, he could come to City, play here for a few years, and then say, hey, guys, I want to try something new and go to Madrid. Which And City will let that happen. They're not the type to block a, a, the player from going anywhere. Um, but And he would have been able to develop under Pep Guardiola, which is – that's the most surprising bit. Pep's known – for improving midfielders. <clears throat> he's known he's for improving everyone. He's known for improving everyone, I know. But in terms of midfielders, you know, you look at the midfielders that we've had in the Pep era and they all thrive. They've all done so well. You know, I think, you know, Bellingham in that Gondohan role, who I think we're going to lose this summer, would have been fantastic. He would have killed it in this team. And having having a spine of Diaz, Bellingham, Haaland, Foden, that's... Champions League winning type mid like team and spine for the foreseeable future, you know what I mean. So for him to turn around and choose Madrid, it might not be a footballing decision. I think it's more of a uh, look. It, you can say it's a footballing decision because it, it is Madrid at the end of the day. Maybe I'm just being a, a little bit um salty as they say. Um, but for me, the the footballing decision, if the logic would point saying go play for City and then go to Madrid later, right? But yeah, like you said, fair to him. He's chosen Madrid, and that's that's on him. Um, it does. But also, how do you know that? How do you know that he's not going to go to the Premier League later? Like he could be he could. doing it the other way. He could, but Madrid are not the type to let players go. Right? They they'll let they'll let him go when he's like thirty. Right? So he could he could end up the Premier League. Right? But at the end of the day, for me, I look at it and go, it's it's very surprising. That's all to go from Dortmund to Madrid instead of going to Dortmund Premier League then Madrid is for me really surprising. Um, and yeah, for us it changes a lot, right? So for me, the main target was always Jude, right? So if we got Jude in the midfield while we lose Gundogan and Bernardo, things work themselves around that, right? Because you got that generational type midfielder, you. You fix it up from there, and then you and you build you build the core from there. But now we don't have a core anymore, so you potentially we're going to next season, right? So and this is what it looks like right now, right? You've got a Kevin De Bruyne who's thirty two years old, who is starting to age. Let's be honest, right? And you can see you've, we've started to see it this year where he can't play week on week, um, and then he, he's starting to pick up a little bit more injuries, etc. So he's not. He's we can't always rely on Kevin De Bruyne. We need to start looking for that next generational or top midfielder, right? We need to bring someone in, and and this is why I'm a bit disappointed because I feel like Jude was that 
Um, I don't think there's anyone near that level uh, on the market currently. There might be like certain players that might be able to potentially hit that, but I don't think there's anything more sure than Jude. We could be wrong. Like players fall off, players change um, when they move to a bigger club, but I don't think Jude was that. I think Jude was definitely a sure thing. It's, he, he He's almost as a sure thing as Haaland to me, right? So like you knew what you're going to get. Yeah, so he's, a, he's a generational player. Like, yeah, so that, so, that's, yeah, so that's, that doesn't change just because he decides to go to Madrid. He's a yeah, he's a generational so that, talent. Yeah, so that's why like, that's why I'm disappointed. But now you can we're looking at next season, and it's like, okay, if we lose Gundogan, right, we're probably gonna lose Bernardo, who is gonna want to leave. He's got a kid on the way. I'd love to keep Bernardo, but it's not realistic, right? So we need to be logically realistic, right? So if we lose Bernardo and Gundogan, right, that leaves only a Kevin De Bruyne as a front-playing eight-roll, right? And he's 32 years old. And like I said, he's not young anymore. He's can't. We can't keep relying on him. So for me, bringing in Jude made the most sense to bring the age of the midfield down and then rebuild from there. So it'll be very interesting to see what City pivot to. We haven't been linked with anyone concretely, right? We've had small links to Kovacic. We've had small links to Vega, We've, we even didn't really have concrete links to Bellingham, right? It was more... No, the Kovacic is concrete. We're interested con- in him. It's concrete, but I haven't. we haven't seen it from your main sources where like a Jack Gorgon has dropped it or a Sam Lee has dropped it. We know there's interest, but it's not like... Usually around this time of the season, City have like set out their targets, right? And, we, and the media releases those targets. We've been quite tight-lipped. Right, and this is where where I'm thinking. Okay, if if Bellingham was top of the list, who's the next on the list? Is it McAllister? McAllister to me looks like he's going Liverpool, but we could come in late now and offer something and change change that dynamic and screw Liverpool over. Um, but there are so many interesting moving parts from this summer. But I always thought that if we brought in Jude as the as the as the kingpin or the linchpin of, of this summer window. It didn't matter what other moves we made around it because the team is already so well built. But bringing in Jude would have basically alleviated all these problems. So it, for me, this is a critical, critical window for us because if we don't get this window right, it could have huge impacts on next season. Especially when you lose Bernardo and Gundogan, who have been absolute staples in this city team now for how long? You know, it's been what since two thousand eighteen. 19, you'd say Gondohan and Bernardo have played key roles in four out of the last five titles and potentially the fifth out of the last six titles. They've played key, absolute, massive roles. Don't forget, KDB was injured for most of 18-19. Bernardo stepped into midfield and he carried that role and he carried it with David Silva. So for us to lose these type of players could be hugely detrimental to how the next season goes. So I feel like we have major decisions to make, major decisions to make, and we need to get it right. So for me, this is why it's disappointing because Jude was that short thing, right? You knew if you get Jude in, you've rebuilt your midfield, you're safe, right? Now there's a lot of questions, a lot of question marks. There's nothing for certain anymore. So interesting summer, interesting summer coming ahead. So I come at it from a little bit different perspective. Like Jude will still take time to adjust, and especially in midfield, like that's a much harder adjustment period. Like, I think the easiest positions at City to adjust to are central defender and striker. And I think it's because striker, like if you're a good striker, you can at least score goals in the beat. Like, 
You remember in Pep's first season, he he was very critical of Aguero, but Aguero was still scoring goals. And even now, like we see Holland's all around game getting better, but guess what? He still broke the Premier League record for goals. And I think we see the same in central defense. Like Ruben Diaz came in in his first season, one player of the year. It's because, and look at Akanji. Ake took a couple of years. Laporte was good almost immediately. Like sometimes it takes players a little longer, but if for those two positions, it's, it's kind of easier to adjust because if you know how to defend, you know how to defend. Like your, your ball playing skills from the back might not be up to par yet, but you can, if you can defend, you can defend. And so I think Jude was going to take more time to adjust in that midfield anyways. And I also think like it's going to take a big offer to get Bernardo this summer because I think City know that they don't want that instability in their midfield. Like they don't want both of those guys to leave in the same summer. And it looks increasingly likely that Gundogan's going to. So Bernardo, maybe they keep him for another year. And I know they're going to sell him for next summer. He only has one year left on his contract. And I think they probably acknowledge that if they want any transfer fee for him, he'll go for much less next summer than he will for this summer. But I think they're willing to take that risk just because they don't want that instability in midfield, which is such an important, such an important role. And so I think they'll bring in at least two midfielders this summer because I know either one of Gundogan or Bernardo leave. If both of them leave, they could bring in three for all we know. And this also is tied to (laughs) Calvin Phillips, um, what what's going to happen with Calvin Phillips? But like, Kovacic has had solid links. The best Chelsea reporters have reported City's interested in Kovacic, and Vega has had some decent links. Uh, not anybody. I think Gone did write an article that said like City's interested, but nothing crazy. And he does have a release clause, which you know City's all over that. So honestly, I'm at the point now though where I trust who we have to bring in the right players because they get it right almost every time. Like, yeah, obviously it's going to hurt with Jude not there. Like Jude is a generational talent. Whoever we bring in is not going to be as good as Jude, but that's fine. Like you don't need the absolute best player at every single position to win everything. Uh, Maybe we go for Declan Rice. That's the, the other option. I don't think he's an eight. Personally. I don't think it, I think I think he can do the second holding midfielder role, but I don't think he's creative enough like Gundogan or goal scoring enough like Gundogan to do that hybrid role, right? So if Kevin De Bruyne is on the pitch, do you play Kevin De Bruyne, Rice, and 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 Rodri? Mm, it's a bit defensive. So I wouldn't. Yeah. So like as I'm saying, like it, it'll be interesting. And this is this is where I think where or I'm, what I mean by how critical this summer is. And look, a perfect segue into Bernardo is, right? So PSG have basically announced that Messi's done. He's finished at, at, at PSG. So PSG have a big burning hole in their pocket to to be able to spend on a player, right? They could easily come in right now and say, and I'm pretty sure what I've heard is we want at least 75 to 80 million pounds for Bernardo Silva. I can see, I can see PSG doing that for Bernardo Silva. You know, that's money. That's the money they were spending basically on Messi's, Messi's wages. Um, so they've got a really big burning hole, and Bernardo's a fantastic player for them in that midfield. Yeah, and, and he's he is, in his prime. 
and he's in his prime. He's friends with um, Mbappe because they played together at Monaco. So that you know, if he could, if he says, "Hey guys, I, I want to go to PSG," and PSG go, "Here's eighty million pounds," I think City accept it. And there you go. There's your midfield torn to shreds. And that segues into the messy debate, I guess. Okay, so I'll the reason we're bringing first. this up, yeah. So <laughs> let, let's kind of set the background here. Um, obviously, it was announced earlier today that Messi is not coming back to PSG. I think everybody kind of knew, but it was like officially Messi is not coming back to PSG this summer. So where is he going? There have not been, at least I haven't seen any like credible reporting that says City is even interested in Messi. But what we're going to do here is we're going to debate whether we would want Messi to play for Manchester City next season or and possibly the season after, but at least next season. I am of the position that it would be a good thing to do under certain circumstances. And I think this is how City operate in general. Like City is not going to be a United and just give some like blank check to like like they did to Cristiano Ronaldo where they said, oh yeah, you can play every single game and we're going to give you the highest wages in the history of the Premier League and all this stuff to a guy that's past it. I don't think City would ever do that. So I think personally, I would want City at, or Messi at City under some conditions that his wages aren't insane. Like he might be on high wages because he's still messy. He's still one of the best players in the world. Like anybody that watched the World Cup knows that he's still one of the best players in the world. Um, and, you know, he just basically took a two year vacation in Paris. And, you know, he's obviously still got the quality. I just think that if he's on modest wages, not insane wages, and if he kind of comes into it knowing that he's not going to be playing every game and that he's going to be kind of more of a squad member, like a rotating first teamer, then I think it would work incredibly well because there a couple things is like Messi himself. He's not Ronaldo. Like he's not a dickhead essentially. Like I think that what's important to him, at least from my perspective is what's important to him. Isn't like, money or anything like that. I mean, obviously money is very important to everyone, but it's more of comfort. Like he didn't want to leave Barcelona. He kind of had to, because PSG was the only team that was going to pay his wages and Barcelona couldn't even sign him if they wanted him for free. So he kind of had to go to PSG and he's comfortable with Pep. He's comfortable with Chicky and Barcelona probably can't afford to sign him again this summer. So I think the comfort factor matters to him. And he's also going to know, like, one thing, too, is, like, he's not going to have the legs to play 60 games next season. He's not going to have that. So he'll play less games, and I think he'd be okay with that because he would know, too, like, what is demanded of him from Pep. He, Him, of all people, would know that. So for me, under those conditions that, like, he's going to be more of a squad guy that can contribute to the team and also not take away a squad spot for somebody else that city could have signed. That would probably annoy me as well. Like if city were going to get a young talent and instead decide to go sign Messi, 
that that would also be a thing. So I think under those circumstances, I would absolutely want Messi. I mean, why not? He's like he's Messi, and he would absolutely make City a better team. Look, look, I think there's two parts, and this is why I disagree with you. All right, so there's whether I want him, and then there's whether City want him or City want to put him in the team. I don't think City would want him, and the reason why is although he could do a job, and I think he's absolutely brilliant with the ball, I don't think he offers enough off the ball. So when you do play him, and and when you do play Messi, you either have to play him on the right wing, right? So you either take Mara's spot or Foden's spot, right? Or Bernardo Silva if we're playing a Champions League game. Um, so he'll fit into that slot. Or he's going to be playing as a front-attacking midfielder, maybe similar to where Kevin De Bruyne is right now, which means you'd have to drop Kevin De Bruyne back further back, right? What he doesn't give you is that off-the-ball pressure. He is a passenger when it comes to defensive movement, right? And I don't feel like this City team can carry um, a non-pressing player when... So, I, like, Haaland's a decent presser, but he's not the best either, right? So, when you look at, you know, how Alvarez presses versus Haaland, they're almost day and night, right? And so, Messi won't give us that, right? He'll give us goals. He'll give us assists. But what are we losing when you do put him in the team? And that's very important, right? So, it's it kind of impacts the balance. And then the question is, do we need that type of player who is good at scoring goals, who is good at giving assists, when you do have Erling Haaland, who is going to give you more goals than anyone. From my perspective, like my opinion of what I'd want, I'd love to have Messi. And the reason why is it's just a romantic thing. It's it's like I want the greatest of all time footballer player to play for my football team. So from that perspective, yeah, I'm like, yeah, bring Messi. You know what I mean? It's fantastic. But from a realistic point of view, I don't see how it fits well and how it would fit really well because I think it would give Pep a really, really big headache in terms of trying to make that lineup work. We'd end up having going through another transition season just to try fit Messi. And then you're doing a transition season for a player that it's 35 years old who, you know, by the time you transition to him, is he going to leave? Is his time up in the in, in, in top league football? Has he dropped off even further because he's aging? So there's all these things to consider. And then the, then you've got the added factor of... Um, do City want to do it? Because I feel like they won't go back for him because he did burn the club in 2020, right? Prior to the 2021 season, the season that we made the Champions League final, where we won 20 games on the bounce in all competitions, right? We were hard after Messi that season. And we actually tra- um, changed our transfer targets midway through the through the window because Messi said to Pep, I want to come. And then he didn't follow through with it. So Pep got pissed. So from a... And then, and then you've seen it happen. The next year, he, ha- he he was forced to leave Barcelona due to wages and due to financial issues, and we weren't even linked for a second. It was, oh, I'm going to PSG, and he knew City weren't going to go back in for him. So I feel like oh, the yeah. same- City, after 10 minutes, like City was briefing every reporter saying, we're not interested. Yeah, yeah. Basically, we, they said, we are not interested, and as simple as that, we, are, we don't want him, right? So from a City perspective, I don't see them ever doing it, and- and it made sense in 2021. He was 33. He was still one of the best players in the world. Um, he would have given us three to four years. That would have been fantastic, right? But at this current time, I don't think it makes sense anymore. It doesn't. It doesn't fit the direction of where we need to be going. We you know we've got a very young core. You bring in a Messi. 
yeah, he might give you two good years, but you've seen what happened at PSG. Everyone thought PSG, look, you look at PSG's front line the last three years, right? That Neymar, Messi, and Mbappe. That's yeah, well, that team's a mess. It is a mess, right? But but Messi makes it a mess as well. <laughs> mess, Messi. <laughs> Pun, da dum dish. Um, but yeah, look, he makes it a mess, right? Because at the end of the day, he he doesn't give you that balance in your squad. So you kind of, you got to remember something. Even when he was at Barcelona, the squad was basically built around him. Even the World Cup squad in Argentina was built around him, right? So the whole focus that he had was, I'm going to attack and be an offensive player and do brilliant things on one side of the pitch. But he had fantastic players around him to give him that space. You know, Alvarez pressing, um, um, Enzo and McAllister. There were so many players around him that allowed him to have that space. So both, where, wherever he's been really, really good and we, where the teams have succeeded, they were basically built <clears throat> to Messi. But I don't think we're there yet. I don't think we're there anymore. What he's going to give to the team is going to be a, a defensive issue, right? And he's not going to have that balance in the team. And that's where I get worried if we do bring in Messi. And I don't, like I said, I don't think City will do it at any point. I, I, like, we would have been linked by now because he, we know he's leaving PSG, right? We would have heard something. We, there might have been a rumor coming around, but no rumors have coming around. And it's because City are not interested. I don't think Pep even wants to consider it. Our future is Haaland. So build your squad around Haaland. Don't build it around a 35-year-old Messi. And that's where I think it's important to note. You have to cater your team to Messi. See, I disagree with that. I don't think you have to cater your team to Messi. I think he'd fit into this squad pretty well, just as it is. Because this team is already a well-oiled machine without him. And I think he would come in, and I think he could fit well. Like, he's not... But what clogging like, you? He's not like him. a selfish player. He's not like a Ronaldo no, who's going it's to. Not, it's not. It's not about selfish. But what I'm, I guess, what I'm saying is like, what I think is if. Let, one, let me, well, let me, here's a, here's another thing too. Is like if I don't know whether City want him or not. If they don't, they don't. If they do, they do. But if City want him to come and he wants to come, they're both going to be operating under the assumption that he is going to work while he's here. He knows that. He played for Pat. And it doesn't matter. He's enough- not, he, he doesn't have the energy to do it anymore, Sam. So well, that's, what- well, that's the other thing is he has the energy to do it if he plays like 35 games. Absolutely. Which, which is fine, but this is what I'm saying, right? So, and this, Let me put a counterpoint to you, right? So if you put Messi in his team, which cog are you removing to cater for Messi? Who do you take out of the team right now? Well, it's added depth. Like we need the depth. You know no, what no, I mean? No, no. Hold on, hold on. If you've got Messi, he's not depth, right? He is a superstar, right? So you have to play him in the biggest games. I'm talking. We've got a Champions League semi-final against Madrid. You've got the same exact team that we've got now. Imagine we don't lose Bernardo. We don't lose Gundogan. Are you playing Messi against Real Madrid? Yeah, but we are losing Gundogan or Bernardo no, no. or both. Hold, you know no, what no, I mean? Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm saying if we. If we brought Messi to this team, you're saying we're a world-oiled machine, right? We bring in Messi today, right? And he's allowed us to play against Madrid. I'm just playing devil's advocate for you, just to give you to, to, to give you an, an idea of where I'm coming from in terms of what cog do you remove, right? So let's be honest. The, the starting lineup against Madrid will be Grealish, Haaland, Bernardo, Gundogan, KDB, Rodri, and the, the same back five that we've had, right? Like the the, defendive, the defenders, right? So he's not he's not taking a defender position. Out of that front five, right? Obviously, Rodri's playing, 
right? Out of that front five, who are you removing to cater for Messi? And this is what I mean. This is where I'm saying you've got to remove an important cog from the team to yeah, cater Yeah, but he's not Messi. coming into this team. He's coming into next year's team potentially, which no, will no. be missing at least one of those guys. Oh, so that, just, like, just, that's the difference. Just, just answer the question in terms of like, in terms of what would you remove? Well, you that's, that's, that's a different thing though, because like we would like, obviously Pep would play a completely different way. Like, I don't know exactly. how that would and, look. I, exactly. I, would, I would know how that would look, but that's the thing is like, he's not coming into this team. So I don't think there's really a point in debating that. I think what's, what's important is that, we're going to lose one or two of those guys next summer. And so he okay, would be so coming into a team that that would need somebody. So let's say you lose Gundogan. Do you play him in the Gundogan role? Or do you play him in the Kevin De Bruyne role and then move Kevin De Bruyne back? It could be something where you play Kevin De Bruyne on the left side at eight and Messi on the right. It could be something where you play Bernardo on the left side at eight and Messi on the right wing. Like... I don't know how that would look. I but like, see for me when oh, you do that, right? The cog of the entire team changes, right? And the, the, the and like you said, Pep will have to change it. So the suddenly you're in a transition season again, trying to fit Messi in. Well, no, it's not changing. It's like you have to work with what personnel you have. Like that's yeah, that's I agree. Like that. you have to change it for everyone. Like any player that comes in, you're going to have to adjust. And I think I don't think the adjustment period would be very big with Messi because Messi already knows how to play. With Pep, he he knows Pep better than anybody. He's grown up playing that style of positional play his entire life. And I think if you give him X number of games and say, you need to work, he will. And on top of that, like I've listened to interviews with Pep in the past about how Messi is so intelligent in his pressing that he actually expends less energy, but is so well and good in his movement that he like he basically has like no wasted steps. And if you tell Messi, like, hey, this is how you're going to have to work, and Pep will know that, Messi will know that, and you say, give us 30 to 35 games a season, he would absolutely do it. Absolutely. And I, I don't think City would lose a step. Would you want a I, player I, that only gives you 30 to 5, 30? Right, let's say you change your team and you adjust your, your, your setup for a player like Messi, right? Would you but you're become- going to have to adjust your setup no matter who comes in, though. No, 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 no. I know, but you're saying give him 30 to 35 games, right? If you only give him 35 games, it means he's only playing half the season, right? So, obviously, he probably won't play League Cup, but probably won't play FA Cup. But that means he, he's probably going to miss a fair bit of Premier League games, which means your team is changing the dynamic game on game, right? You don't have a consistent best 11. See what, well, see what not I'm really. I mean, City's never had that, though. Like... City, oh, like, unless every, unless they every, go every, unless they go really far in the Champions League, like you don't even we never know who's playing in the Champions League final. Like we played a Champions League final and we were shocked at who we saw. Don't bring you know that. What that, I'm doesn't, saying? that doesn't that doesn't count, all right? But that's <laughs> that's my point is like have, you never I have know. No, I have no recollection of that event. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying is like you you never know who's in the best eleven. So yeah, to bring Messi in, I think he'd fit, like. But that's the thing is like these conditions would need to be in place. Like if it was something where Messi wants insane wages and he wants to play every game, no, I don't think City would do it, and I wouldn't want it done. I still don't know if City would do it, regardless. But my point is like 
Messi might be at that point in his career, and I think he's humble enough and and smart enough to know, like, look, I want to play for a good winning team, but I'm not going to play every single game. But I want to go play with guys that I'm comfortable with, and I want to go play under a coach that I love, and I want to contribute. I might not be the best player on the team anymore, and I, not everything might revolve around me, but I think I can still be a contributing player to the team. Do I think he can do that? Absolutely. And I think he knows the expectations coming in because he knows what it's like to play for Pep. Like, even if it's messy, if he doesn't run, Pep's benching him. And he knows that. And Pep knows that. So I think if City were to bring him in, I think that understanding would already be there that, like, you can't slack off. And I don't think he's a slacker in general. Like, he's, you can't be the best at your sport without being an incredibly hard worker to begin with. Yep. I, look, I agree with that. But yeah, again, he is 35 years old. Um, anyway, to end, well, yeah, end it's, the, it's like a one to two season rental, is <laughs> yeah, essentially exactly. what it is. Exactly. Exactly. Um, anyway, to end the debate, look, it's, I think it's going to be a fantastic, interesting summer coming up. Um, hopefully we win the treble and it doesn't matter anymore because we'll probably be relegated to League 2 after that anyway and Messi won't want to come to a League 2 club. Um, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, but look, for me, again, the last point I'd make is the footballing fan in me, the Manchester City fan in me, would want Messi at this club regardless of the optics and how it's going to work. The logical side of my brain and I know City won't do it and that's that's where... I think that's where we'll take it from there. But you never know. Things Strange things happen. And, you know, we didn't expect Messi to even end up at PSG at the time that he went to PSG, and he did end up there. So, look, strange things have happened. Last year, everyone thought Haaland was going to Madrid. Now he's breaking Premier League records, scoring 35 goals in a Premier League season um, at Manchester City. So, strange things happen, guys. So, anyway, let's uh, we'll look ahead to Leeds just a little bit. Um like we said, a lot of rotation and then Madrid right after, right? So um, we know you're going to the game. So it's, hopefully it's a really, really banging game. The only thing I'm going to ask, I'm not going to ask you for predicted lineups. I think we won't know what the lineup's going to be, but we expect some rotation. Maybe Rodri might sit out. Maybe Gondon might come back in. Um, but quickly, give, give us a score prediction, Sam, since you're going to be at the game. I want to see 4-0. That's what I want four? to see. I thought, I thought you, I expected you to say seven. <laughs> I want to see four. And if I remember correctly, like the last couple times City have played a Sam Allardyce team, we've battered them. Like he set up defensively, but we still find a way through. And then we just, we just beat the dog shit out of them. So I, I don't know what's going to happen. This Leeds team looks like shit right now. Obviously they just fired their coach. Um, I feel I feel hopeful. I I'm I'm predicting four nil. I know I'm. This is probably going to come to bite me in the ass when it's like a one one draw or something stupid. But <laughs> two, two that's one what I'm Leeds. predicting. John Stone's red card again. <laughs> <sighs> look, look. If City drop points, you're not allowed to go to Manchester anymore. All right. <laughs> yeah, ban me from there, please. <laughs> Just, just to end the pod, um, this is a quote from um, Sam Allardyce earlier today. I might be 68 <laughs> and look old, but there's nobody ahead of me in football terms. Not Pep, not Klopp, not Arteta. Yeah, 
thanks, Sam Allardyce. Cheers, cheers, big Sam. You're the, you're the, definitely the best manager in the world. So um, City are going to lose one three um, at home to to Leeds. So yeah, <laughs> gotta love Big Sam. Honestly, I am like a small part of me is really excited that I get to see Big Sam. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm kind of excited for that. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh god. Well, yeah, let's wrap it up. Thanks, guys, for listening. Um, it was fantastic. Just remember, you know, Harlan, record breaker. Fantastic game today. And, uh, yeah, catch you guys later. Thanks, guys.